All right, if you'll join me tonight in the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter number 10, we welcome all of you by way of live stream, wherever you are. We're so glad that you're with us, and please be patient with us. We're trying to upgrade it and get it better than it is, up to the quality God would be honored. Also by radio, thank you for joining us tonight, wherever you are by radio. Look in your Bible with me tonight as we continue our study in the book of 2 Corinthians. Let me just preface the chapter with this. Sometimes we misjudge the man of God. Sometimes we misjudge other ministries, such as other churches. And, and we kind of uh, look at the size of them and say, boy, look how God is blessed. And we drive by a smaller church maybe in the area and we look, man... Um, we're a lot younger than them and we're a lot bigger than them and all that kind of business. This chapter is about ministerial misunderstandings. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth now, vindicating himself and vindicating his apostleship. And evidently there's one man in the church at Corinth That has come down from Jerusalem and brought that old doctrine of Judaism with them about keeping the law. And uh, he has snuck in unawares into the church at Corinth. And he's gathered him a handful. You know, I love Brother Wolfenbarger, but a lot of Baptists are half goat. They're always butting somebody. And so some of the, somebody has slipped into the church and is turning the church against the Apostle Paul. Doubting that he is, has the authority as an apostle because he didn't bring any papers of recommendation from the church at Jerusalem like old so-and-so has. Paul was sent by God, not by the church at Jerusalem. And Paul was an apostle sent to the Gentiles just like Peter was an apostle sent to the Jews. So Paul is writing this book, chapter number 10, defending his apostleship. Please notice, if you would please, verse 1, we'll just go down through it. Verse 1, now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in the presence I am base among you, but being absent, I am bold toward you. In other words, when Paul was with them, he was meek and Christ-like. But some of the letters he's writing has got teeth in them. And they are saying about Paul, he's a coward. He say, he does one thing when he's here. And then he writes us a letter and cleans our clock. We don't like that. So Paul is saying in verse 2, But I beseech you, beg you, plead with you, I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walk according to the flesh, not saved. Oh, so-and-so in the church saying Paul is doing everything he's doing in the flesh. Paul's not saved. Paul's carnal. Paul don't have credentials like I do. 
and he's a snake in the grass, and he's getting him a little click over here of these law abiders that's teaching that you have to keep the law, you got to be circumcised, and thereby disagreeing with the doctrine of grace. Paul is writing, I'd like to be meek when I come, but looks like I'm going to have to be bold because you're saying that I am the flesh. Verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. I am here tonight in the flesh, but I hope that I'm not preaching in the flesh. I'm here tonight in flesh. That's the only reason you can see me. I've been accused of preaching in the flesh, but they're not here anymore. (laughs) They're not tithing, they're not soul winning, they're not praying, but I'm the one preaching in flesh. The problem was I was preaching against the flesh. And see, this guy is in the flesh and accusing Paul of being in the flesh. Paul said, yes, I am in the flesh, but I do not war in the flesh. Be careful, we're in a war. Notice what it says, I war not, we war not. You have got a war going on. And the devil wants to ruin the relationship you have with your mate. He wants to cut a, a divide between you and your kids. He wants to destroy your home. He wants you to become a victim and not a victor. And he's after you financially, spiritually, morally, you name it. You are in a war. If you've been saved and you love God, you are in a war. Paul said, we walk in the flesh, but we do not war after the flesh. Notice the next verse. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. You like that? Mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. How many Baptists do you know? That has an addiction they cannot defeat. Saved, yes. Some even faithful to church, yes. Some read their Bible and has a daily devotion each day, yes. They tithe, yes. But they still have addiction. I'll quit. I'll turn over a new leaf. Wait a minute. That is carnal weapons. I will do it. I will do it. I will do it. No, you're the one who got in trouble. Now you need to let God do it. It's an inward thing. Mighty through God to pulling down strongholds. You got that? I don't need AAA, B-U-L-L, or anything else. All I need is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it, Paul said, I am mighty through God to pull down strongholds. Our weapons are not carnal. They are not intellectual. They are not educational. They are not experiential. Our weapons are mighty through God. Prayer, faith, the word of God, Christ Jesus, the blood of Christ, the Holy Spirit of God. We've got all of that and we're walking around addicted to every dumb thing in the world. Something needs to be robbed to fixed. Well, I didn't mean to make anybody mad. Hello? Is there anybody here? Folks, you out there in Radio Land, really, we got folks here. They just mad at me right now. 
We don't need all of these carnal weapons that we're trying to embrace. You want to lose weight, quit eating. You want to quit gossiping, keep your mouth shut. You want to keep from stealing, keep your hands in your pocket. Nothing spiritual about that. But there are spiritual wars going on that in the high places, we wrestle not against flesh and the blood, but against spiritual wickedness in high places. Can anybody say amen? Against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. Ladies and gentlemen, you need God's help in your home. I need God's help in my home. I need God's help raising my kids. I need God's help raising my grandkids. I just cannot do this all by myself. And thank God, I do not have fight the devil and his imps on my own. Notice, the Bible says that these weapons of ours are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Verse 5. How do we do it? Look at this. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Will that work or what? Hard for me to get drunk thinking about Jesus. Hard for me to lust after somebody else's wife if I'm thinking about the Lord and his purity and his sacrifice and his love for me. Hard for me to be crude to my children when I know how patient God is with me and how the Holy Spirit is patient with me. I'm just saying, ladies and gentlemen, we have the possibility to be overcomers. Then why are we so many overcome? It's because we're dependent on our education, on our intellect, on our experience, on everything in the world. When we got all we need in the person of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and his inerrant, infallible, living word of God. Praise God. I might have a spell, but I, I, I like this. Now, verse 7, look at this. He says to the church, Do ye look on things after the outward appearance? Do you, church, over there at Corinth, you are saying that I'm a little guy, squint-eyed, And speech is detestable. Do you look on the outside? I wonder how many here tonight governs the success of your ministry, your spiritual life, by outward appearances. That's one of the most dangerous things you can do tonight is to govern somebody's spirituality by the outward appearance. Well, they don't have the same kind of shoes I got on. Well, they don't wear wingtip shoes and they don't have white walls above their ears. They could not be spiritual. 
If they don't wear suits to church, they, they just must not be spiritual. The most dangerous thing you and I will ever do is to judge a ministry by the outward appearance. See, everybody that drives by our church that knows me or that is in the ministry who don't like me. They say the reason that God, that this church is doing so well is because so many of you are millionaires. That's God's truth. So no way in the world Wolf could do what he's doing with all those millionaires in his church. I said, with a hard one, Brother Pickett. He's kept things float all these years. The most dangerous thing you can do in your life is to judge where you are with God or where Brother Jim is with God or this church is with God by the outward appearance. Do you remember when Saul disobeyed God and God told Samuel, go find me another king. First Samuel chapter 16. And Samuel said, oh, I'll do that. And God said, you might want to start down at Jesse's house down in Bethlehem. Remember that? If you read chapter 16, you'll find that Samuel, sure enough, went down to Jesse's place and Jesse had eight sons. Remember that? And run that first one out of Elab and bless his heart. He flexed his muscles, opened his, his shirt and hairy chest showed everywhere. And he was a prime example of what a king ought to be. And old Samson, old Samuel, started grabbing the bottle of oil. And God said, wait a minute, Samuel, that, that, that's not him. Then he ran by two more, Shamar and his brother. And God, now that's not him. And Jesse ran by every one of his sons, seven of them. And uh, Samuel said, is there somebody else here? Do you have another son? You remember that? Uh, Jesse said, yeah, but you wouldn't want him. He's ruddy, fair complexion, good looking little booger. He's keeping the sheep. Samuel said, go get him. Little old David come out there. Ruddy. I don't know what that means in the Hebrew. Don't sound good. Somebody called me ruddy years ago. I'd have hit him. Now I'll just smile at him. Because I'm too old to hit him. And old David run out there and God said, oil him up. That's him. The first three were much bigger. The first three was the most promising. You ever heard the story about the Valley of Elah? That's where the Goliath was. He was in the valley defying the armies of God. Do you know what all three of those first three brothers was down there hiding in the foxhole, scared of Goliath. What if Samuel had looked on the outside? 
And the Bible says God told Samuel, the Lord looketh not as man. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. And here is a young man with a champion's heart. Here is a young man with a heart for God. Here is a ruddy, little, slick skin, never shaved, pretty boy. And God said, oil him up. Not a one of us would have chose David to be king. You know why? Because we look on the outside. Come on, don't look so holy and righteous and your whole halo's crooked now. And did you know Saul made the same mistake? He said, you can't fight Goliath. You ain't got no armor on. Looking at the outside again. David said, I don't need no armor. I got a few rocks and a slingshot. Do you know somebody else made a mistake? Goliath made a mistake. When Goliath saw little David in the valley, Goliath said, am I a dog that would send a little child and all you have in your hand is just a staff? Well, I'm going to feed you to the birds. (laughs) He just was looking on the outside. And David said, you come to me with weapons that are carnal, but I come to you in the name of the God of Israel. You better duck because I'm swinging that rock. We need to be careful about judging a church, a family, or an individual by looking on the outside. So Paul was running. Paul was about half blind. Paul was not as good looking as Apollos, not near as thunderous as Peter. And he was a theologian that probably spoke in a monotone tone and was the greatest soul winner ever to hit this earth. And they said, we'd rather hear Apollos preach because he can shoot out the adjectives so much that if he's talking about the sunshine, the first four rows get sunburned. We like Peter. He preaches, man. He cleans our clock. Looking on the outside. And Paul said, do you folk judge me by outward appearance? By the way, how do we judge somebody's spirituality? Do you think maybe the Bible has the answer? Could I read just a few more verses? Then I, while I'm doing that, I want you to turn over to the book of Mark, chapter number 10, if you would, please. Over to the book of Mark. And, Dave, and, and Paul said, do you look on things after the outward appearance? If any man trusts to himself that he is Christ, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ, so even are we Christ. And though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for destruction, I should not be ashamed. Paul said, I was with you and I was gentle. I was Christ-like. And you run me down and says that my appearance is not very good and that my speech is detestable. And I do not have credentials from Jerusalem like old so-and-so in the church. He said, what do you want a leader to be? 
That's a good question you need to answer yourself. What kind of leader do you want your husband to be? What kind of leader do you want your preacher to be? Would you please join me in Mark chapter 10? Please look at me at 35, verse 35. And we're just about through, only because of time, not because of what I need to say. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, came unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. He said unto them, What would you that I should do for you? They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit, one on thy right hand, the other on the left hand in thy glory. And Jesus said unto them, Ye know not what you ask. Can you drink the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said unto him, We can. And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink the cup that I drink of and with the baptism that I am baptized with we all shall be baptized. But to sit on my right hand And on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, you know what the ten was mad about? The other two just beat them. They began to be much displeased with James and John. But Jesus called him, called them to him and said unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and their great ones exercise authority over them upon them but so shall it not be among you what he's saying is we don't need any bosses but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. Now get this. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Have you ever heard the term servant leadership? Have you ever heard that term? Now, where do you think that came from? If you're not first a servant, you will never be a leader. And once you are a leader, when you cease being a servant, you cease being a godly leader. And Paul was saying to the church at Corinth, I came to you. As a servant leader. And you're complaining about it. You're getting in cahoots. With this Judaizer. This guy that believes like the Gentiles believe. That exercise lordship over you. And Paul said. I came. Not in the flesh. But in a Christ like gentleness. I bet some of we husbands could stand some of that who's got a misconception of what leadership in the home is. 
Well, you know what the Bible says about wives being in subjection. Yeah, but he says husbands love like Christ before he said that. You see what I'm talking about? You see, you judge spiritual authority by servant leadership, by being able to do that. The problem was in verse 7. The problem was in verse 7 is the church at Corinth was filled with immature spiritual babies. Could I say that again? Go to the nursery tonight if you'd like. They don't have to be very old. But you set a kid down in our nursery and everything in that nursery belongs to him. You don't have to be 10 years old. He just got to be big enough to crawl around that floor saying mine. I think uh, the Bernie baby is the worst of the bunch. (laughs) I'm just kidding. You better wait till Ben gets there. He'll probably be the worst. What's so bad is my wife used to come out of the toddler department down at the other church bleeding. You know why? Brats. Immaturity. Childish. And everything they see is theirs. The church at Corinth was filled with a bunch of immature Christians. They had been saved a long time. But they just grew old in the Lord and never grew up. And all they could do is compare themselves with this one and compare the church with that one and compare Paul with Apollos and Paul with Cephas. And then there's that spiritual bunch. They didn't compare anybody. They just were so in love with Christ. And the problem in church is they're filled with immature Christians. It is not God's will that you get saved and baptized and throw your Bible away. It is not God's will that you leave your Bible laying idle until you come to church and bring it and fumble through it while I preach. The problem with the church at Corinth and the problem in most churches in America today is because all they can see is the physical, the outward. And all they care about is what they got, what they can get, what they can hang on to. And that is not Christian. Christian, everything belongs to God. Everything came from God. We're managers. We're stewards. We're not owners. We are pilgrims just passing through. Amen. Come on now, say amen. And we do not need to argue about what we got, what who's got, how good this one is, how this one preaches. We just need to be real careful and not be immature. And so I just believe Paul had the answer. If you notice, he said this and we'll go. Uh, We'll go back now to 2 Corinthians and notice what he says. And I just, uh, verse 7 at the latter part of the verse. Now let's read it together. Do you look on things after the outward appearance? 
Okay. So you folks are saying I'm not saved. So you folks are saying I'm fleshly. That's what he said up here in the previous verse. He said, all right. Now, Paul's funny. You got to watch him. I mean, he, he really, he, if any man trusts to himself that he is Christ, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ, even so are we Christ. Paul said to that crowd, who won you to the Lord? You folks are saying, I am not saved. I'm in the flesh. Who won you folks to the Lord? Paul said, I won you to the Lord because I know the Lord. And you're saying, I don't know the Lord now because you've got a Judaizing so-called spiritual giant in your mess. Paul said, listen, if I'm not saved, you're not saved. That's a bombshell, isn't it? Notice verse 9, he says, That I may not seem as if I would terrify you with letters. For his letters, say they, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Verse 11, Paul says, Let such and one think this, that such as we are in word by letters, okay, weighty letters, had teeth in them. Such as we are in word by letters, when we are absent, such will be also indeed when we are present. He said, you better straighten out. I'm coming to Corinth. And when I come to Corinth, I'm not going to be that goody good two shoes that was over there last year. I'll take care of old so and so. Servant leadership is not always turning your back and let people running over you. If they're kicking you in the rear end, that's great because you're still in front. You just don't have to act dumb and kick like they kick. And your weapons should not be carnal. They are mighty through God to pulling down strongholds. And all of God's people said. Isn't that wonderful? How to wage spiritual war last week, verses 1 through 6. How to use spiritual authority. Verse 7 through 11, I hope by God's grace that I never come to this place acting like I'm boss. I do not say that I'm boss. I do not care that air that I'm boss. Several years ago, when there was a small building and God was blessing and our church was growing and growing and the financial committee would always meet and we met and we went over the finances and I got counsel from them fellas, and uh, they've heard me say about every year, is there anything you want to change? Is there anything you would like to improve? A dear friend who's in heaven tonight 
successful businessman on my financial uh, board for years. He would always say, preacher, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. We got no bosses around here. We got a Lord and his name is Jesus. And I want to never ask you to do anything that I would not or have not done before you. Now, Jim's been working with me for how long, Jim? 24 years. Ask Jim who taught him how to mow a yard. Ask Jim who used to weed eat. Used to weed eat. We have, if you drive by our church in the summer, you can tell who's the newest on staff. He's weed eating. Right, Jim? And then you just watch who's riding. He's been on staff a little while. Go in the office and you'll see who's been on staff a long time. (laughs) But you know what we need around here? We don't need any bosses. What we need around here are some folks who are just servant leaders. Servant leaders. Leading your family in the things of the Lord. Been a great example for your grandkids. Because if you have kids, you're going to be a granddaddy one of these days. And what's good about granddaddies, you can send them home anytime. How to use spiritual authority. Let me give you the last thing and we'll go. How do you judge or how do you measure a spiritual ministry? If you're looking for a church, if you're looking for a place to serve, if you're looking for a place to honor God, how do you measure a spiritual ministry? I hear folks say, well, I've been checking churches out and and, and let me tell you something. You don't have to check churches out. You don't have to visit and revisit. You'll know it the first time you're there. You'll know it the first time you're there. And you ought not find a church for political reasons. Did you hear me? You ought not look at the church. You ought not look at our church because it can help you in your, in your uh, economic situation or in your uh, domestic job situation. Look at verse number 12, and I'll close. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they measure themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. You visit our church, you compare us to the church on the hill and you visit the church on the hill and you compare them to the church downtown and you compare us with them and them with us and the Bible said that is not wise. If God is alive and he is in your heart, why do you need to visit Can't God tell you where you're supposed to be? Well, they've got a plate area in the front. Well, I'm sorry. Ours is in the back. 
They got drive-through prayer. We don't. We got come in pray. No, you know, don't compare us with them and them with us or anybody. You don't have to compare. I do not compare. I tell you, the dangerous thing for me is to begin to compare our ministry with somebody else's. I can almost get so discouraged I want to cry when I go to West Coast. Brother Paul started that church same time, or he took that church same time I started this one. They were running probably 10,000. I mean, it's the most phenomenal thing you've ever seen in your life. And instead of allowing that to motivate me, if I'm not careful, I'll begin to compare what God has done with me compared to what he's done with him. Now, I know I'm the only turkey in the place that does that. Well, I've been married this year, and they just got married. And look at their house, and we're still living over here. Huh? The most dangerous thing you can do, and the most unwise thing that I do, and I, 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 just, uh, I just want to do so much for God, and it's wrong to look on the outside. Amen. God has been so good to us. And that's dangerous when you start comparing with everybody else. And here's the, here's the problem. If the work of the church is the work of God. Okay? And if the church of God is a miracle. How do you measure a miracle? There's no such thing as big miracles and little miracles. Man, they're all miracles. Amen. Well, I wish my baby had had hair. Well, I wish my baby didn't have any hair. I wish my baby had teeth. That's all God's business, not ours. And the only thing we need to do is just to be faithful where we are and not worry about nickels and noses. People say, well, how are your church doing? Don't tell them we're running so many Sunday school. We're building a 20,000-foot building. Uh, we've got money in the bank. All the bills is paid. Don't, don't, don't run around and brag about that. Just say, well, our folks is growing in grace and our families are trying to honor God with their life. And we're trying to raise some champions for Christ. And, and I don't know how many we have in Sunday school. Brother Pickett does the records, hangs the deal in my deal, and occasionally I look what we have in Sunday school. Probably once every two or three weeks or month, I'll ask what our offerings were. I don't care. I just want God to get all the glory Amen. for all of it. Amen. My ministry's not big and Brother Jim's is little. Because I'm the pastor and he's the associate. Me and Jim just servants of the Lord. And that's just how God arranged it. Amen. And I'm glad it is because I wouldn't take orders from Jim. <laughs> and to God be the glory. Amen.
Let he that gloryeth, the Bible said on down the last verse, let he that gloryeth glory in the Lord. Please give God the glory. Live as such as God would be glorified. Treat your family and your wife like Jesus would treat them. Treat your neighbor as Jesus would treat them. 